the Great Commission has not been accomplished. Yeah. You know, if we look at it as though those nations are geopolitical nations, well, the gospel has gone to all of those places at least once, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but if we see it as people groups and we see that the task is still unfinished and that there's still room for us and there's still a role for us, that's going to that's gonna make the conversation different. Listening to that Jesus podcast. The concept that I'm most interested in exploring and promoting is what it means to be obedient to Jesus' final words in the book of Matthew that we colloquially refer to as the Great Commission. We're going to be featuring a lot of conversations with missionaries in future episodes. Now, a missionary is simply a sent one, the biblical word is apostle. Acts records an example of this when Paul and Barnabas were sent by the church in Antioch to proclaim the good news in unreached areas. There's a larger biblical framework that helps us make sense of the concept of missions. At the Tower of Babel, God essentially disinherited the rebellious nations, consigning them to lesser spiritual beings as described in Deuteronomy 32, 8-9. Abraham's family was chosen to be the means through which the Messiah would come and bring God's blessing back to all nations, a theme that is reiterated constantly in Israel's poetry. At Pentecost, it became clear that God was reversing Babel and kicking off the project to reclaim the nations. This is the glorious reality that we can become part of. We're called to go and make apprentices of Jesus of Nazareth in all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that Jesus commanded us. Since I'm emphasizing mission work in other countries, the question might naturally arise, aren't there many people in America who need to hear the good news? The answer is yes, but I do believe that we should focus on parts of the world that have little to no access to the news about Jesus for several reasons. First of all, Romans 10:13-15 states that you cannot be saved without calling on Jesus' name, you cannot call on that name if you have not heard it, and you cannot hear it without a preacher. Our sense of justice should compel us to preach the name of Jesus where it has never been heard, rather than repeatedly preaching it to those who have already heard it but thus far chosen to reject it. As Oswald J. Smith said, no one has the right to hear the gospel twice while there remains someone who has not heard it once. Paul concurs with the sentiment when he said in Romans 15, It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who are not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. He then went on to say that he has no more room to preach in certain regions where the good news had already been proclaimed, even though there were certainly still many non-believers in those areas. I decided to call my friend Lainey Mills to discuss missiology. She is a missions coordinator with Global Frontier Missions and occasionally writes for their blog.
So how did you first get interested in missions? Um, I grew up reading all kinds of missionary biographies, you know, Amy Carmichael, Hudson Taylor, C.T. Studd, Gladys Aylward, and they were all heroes of mine. Just, you know, loved hearing their stories, wanted to be just like them, but somehow that never actually translated to me being a missionary. Um, so I'm not exactly sure how I wanted to be like them, but it wasn't that part. Um, <laughs> I, ever since the Lord got a hold of my life when I was younger, um, there's just been like a real passion for discipleship within the church. I feel like there was a lack of that for me growing up. And um, so I was just really passionate about discipleship, especially like girls' discipleship, women's ministry. And so I thought that was the direction the Lord was leading me. And just, you know, full-time ministry, that was my goal. That was where I was headed. Uh, just Christian to Christian, the church in America is really bad off. You know, we need, we need more passion here. We need more discipleship here. Um, so that's the direction I was headed until August of 2016, when my friend sent me a four and a half minute whiteboard video that was, she found on YouTube mm -hmm. and it was, um, about the state of the world. Yeah. And in that four and a half minute time span, I feel like my life got completely turned upside down. Um, it was just an animated dude's hand drawing on a whiteboard, numbers, statistics, um, yeah. not super emotional, but very, very impactful. And, um, I was hearing things I'd never heard before. Like, you know, it's been 2000 years since Jesus walked on this earth and there's still 3 billion people that don't have access to the gospel. So yeah. it's not that they've said no to Jesus. It's that they don't even have the opportunity to say no to Jesus. Um, you know, it said that, you know, only one out of every 1800 Christians serves cross-culturally with. And then, and then even a tiny, tinier part of those people serve among those people that don't have access. Mm -hmm. um, and it was talking about how Americans spend more money on Halloween costumes for pets than they do on missions. And it's just all yeah. of this information like that. And I was just wrecked. And I thought, I, I've never heard this before, but here I am wanting to, you know, just continue this cycle of, uh, you know, just sharing Jesus with people that already know and already have rejected which there's there is still need for that there's a place for that um but reaching people that, had, that never had access to the gospel that was not anywhere on my radar i was not even aware that that was a need um because i've always had access to, to the gospel like i grew up in church if anything i feel yeah. like i had more than enough access um so then to find out that there's so many people that don't have any access at all was um heartbreaking and i thought i can't know this and not do something about it uh, but at the same time, it was like, well, I've never heard of unreached people groups before. How in the world do you find them? They're obviously not just sitting around, you know, waving and saying, hey, come reach me. I need help. Um, so I didn't know where to get started. Uh, but I looked up the organization that had made this whiteboard video um, because I thought, well, OK, surely whoever made this is not cruel enough to make a video like this, wreck your life and not give you an extra. <laughs> So mm -hmm. I went and looked them up and it was uh, Global Frontier Missions and they focus on um, training and equipping people that want to serve cross-culturally, specifically with unreached people groups. And um, anyway, so started looking into opportunities that they had, ended up doing a summer internship with them right outside of Atlanta um, and then came to Richmond, Virginia and did a their five-month missionary training school and have been on staff with them ever since. Nice. 
So there's some jargon that gets thrown around in missiology or in the study of missions, and we've already been using uh, some of it. So uh, since this is sort of an introduction episode uh, to some other episodes, I'm gonna where I'm gonna be interviewing different missionaries. Uh, in, in this conversation, I'd like to define a few of those terms. Uh, so first of all, what did Jesus mean by the word nations when he said, go make disciples of all nations? Yeah. So in the Greek, um, if you look up that word nations or all nations, um, mm-hmm. it's not talking about geopolitical nations as we see them today. I think the UN recognizes 196, 197 um, nations. Mm-hmm. that are around today um that is not what the greek is talking about that that greek word for um, nations is ta ethne and that means all people groups or language groups mm-hmm. um so that would be there's about seventeen thousand that they've identified um okay. today so that number is they're constantly kind of in flux so it's hard to gauge that but um, that's a far cry from our 196 geopolitical yeah, yeah. nations yeah so what then would be an unreached people group an unreached people group the technical term or de- definition of what that is uh is going to be any group of people um who have you know common language or experience or um, ancestry or culture or traditions or what have you um that have less than two percent of their population who are reached with the gospel, who have access to Jesus, who are following Jesus. Um, researchers have said that it would take at least 2% of a people group to evangelize the rest of the group. So 2%, you know, is very tiny. That doesn't, that does not mean that they're reached, but it means that they have enough resources within their group to reach the rest of the group, if that makes sense. <laughs> sure. So could you give us a few more statistics about uh, the number of unreached people groups in the world and how many people are in them? I think you said maybe 3 billion people in these groups earlier. Um, how, how many unreached people groups does that include? There's somewhere between six and 7,000 people groups that mm-hmm. are um, unreached. And see, when I first heard some of those numbers, I thought, oh, well, they must be little tiny, tiny, tiny tribal groups, you know, just out in the middle of nowhere. Um, mm-hmm. They're, you know, really small, just a couple families, which in some cases is accurate. But mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of times some of these groups that are unreached and unengaged that have absolutely no contact with Christians, they are massive. Like they're yeah. absolutely massive. Like there's millions of people in these groups. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's not that they're tiny and hiding in some huts and, you know, in the mountains or something. It's like they're in urban centers um, and Mm -hmm. we know where they're at and they're not incredibly difficult to reach it's just that they themselves are not incredibly open to the gospel or there's other difficulties like language or identity or whatever Uh, yeah yeah it's interesting hearing your story because i had a similar story in that i actually grew up on the mission field in kenya uh, but, you know, Kenya is a, a fairly Christian country, at least in name, so it was mostly discipleship that my parents were doing. But I had never heard about, the you know, the term unreached people group or any of this really until I read David Platt's book, Radical, when I was around 18. And when I was reading that, I was like, oh my goodness, I thought this whole idea that there's people who've never heard 
even the name of Jesus. I thought that was back, you know, existed back in the time of like David Livingstone and all these famous missionaries. Surely it doesn't exist today. And so I started doing some more research on it online, came across the Joshua Project website. That that's kind of what got it started for me. So, you know, I feel like there are a lot of, of Christians, especially in America, who just have never been exposed to this type of information and therefore can't even have a burden for it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, why do you think that, you know, so few Christians really care about fulfilling the Great Commission? Why do you think there is so much apathy surrounding that? I think it's kind of what you just touched on to some degree, mm-hmm. just a lack of awareness um, mm-hmm. about the need that still exists and about the fact that the Great Commission has not been accomplished. Yeah. You know, if we look at it as though those nations are geopolitical nations, well, the gospel has gone to all of those places at least once, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but if we see it as people groups and we see that the task is still unfinished and that there's still room for us and there's still a role for us, that's going to that's gonna make the conversation different. Um, mm-hmm. And it's going to provide some space for people to get involved. I think um, another thing that I see a lot in my current role is just there's a skewed view of what it means to be called to be a missionary or to be called into that kind of work. And the Great Commission isn't seen as something that's for all believers to partake in. Now, that doesn't mean everyone goes, but it's for all of us as believers. It's not for a special few. It's not for, um, you know, this hierarchy of Christians that are, you know, very, very saintly where the rest of us are just, you know, not. (laughs) So I think that um, just that mindset can be very, very dangerous and then it can cause us to self-select ourselves out of out yeah, of any yeah. Kind of involvement yeah so you said you're you're working for gfm right now uh which is the organization that made that video and, and i'll hopefully be able to link that video in the show notes if anyone wants to watch that um so tell us a little bit about your work in richmond what you're currently doing for gfm in richmond and beyond yeah for sure so um richmond virginia is probably not on the map for most people. Uh, We're about two hours south of DC and it's a small to medium sized city. Doesn't really seem incredibly special as the capital of the Confederacy. Um, But it has become an incredibly diverse hub. I mean, Mm. there are over 121 different nations living in Richmond, calling Richmond home. Um, Mm. And those people are coming from all over the place. They're coming from South America. They're coming from, um, you know, European countries. They're coming from North Africa, the Middle East. They're coming from Southeast Asia and South Asia. And they're coming here as international students to go to school. They're coming as immigrants who want to do business here. And they want a different kind of lifestyle for their family. Um, some of them are refugees that didn't have a choice in where they got to go when they had to leave their country because of war or persecution, but they've ended up in Richmond for whatever reason. So it seems like a small kind of unassuming city, but it is incredibly diverse. Um, and a lot of those people come from unreached people groups. So if they were still in their country, they wouldn't have access to the gospel. So for whatever reason, however they got here, God is doing something and he's stirring up the world. And now these people have Christians as neighbors and they go to churches for ESL classes 
they have coworkers that follow Jesus. And so they now are beginning to have access as individuals. So I've gotten to do quite a bit of work. Um, I think within one calendar year, and I didn't go out of the country this whole year, in one calendar year, I interacted with people from over 78 different countries. Um, and that was just enrichment. And that was just me on my own. So uh, that's not my primary role at this point within the organization. Right now, I serve as a missions advisor with GFM. So that's just helping walk alongside believers who are interested in missions, who are wanting to take that next step of yes, but don't know what that is. I get the privilege of walking alongside them and helping them connect mm. with different opportunities. Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah, I, we, we've been doing evangelism, street evangelism in Charlottesville for or I've been doing it for probably seven years with almost zero success. But this year, we started reaching out to visiting scholars from China and started teaching them English. And we've seen in my class, and it's not just me, there's, you know, I have a Chinese friend who c connects with them, and then I, there's more people involved who organize all kinds of events for them, hiking, that sort of thing. Uh, but I kind of do the English teaching part and, you know, take them out for coffee and, and talk to them about Jesus and the gospel. And just in my class in the last year, there's been four people who have become followers of Jesus and that were previously atheists. So it's just incredible. It's incredible to see the results. You know, I've, I've almost got to the point where I'm like, it's time to cast our nets on the other side. You know, Americans have heard this gospel so many times. Um, why not share this good news with people who are actually open to it, which many times if you're in America, it's, it is the people who are, have immigrated here from other countries. Um, and also, you know, God is calling us to support work in, in unreached countries themselves, of course, as well. So, yeah, that, that's really cool what you're doing in Richmond and also in encouraging uh, families who do feel the, the call to missions. Uh, so if someone's listening to this and, and they want to get involved in fulfilling the Great Commission, why don't you step into your role there at, at GFM and give them some counsel? What, what can they do if, if they're listening to this and they, they're like, yeah, I want to be involved in that? I think first off, and I mean this with all sincerity, this is not just the token Christian answer, um, pray. Uh, that was mm -hmm. something that Jesus said to his disciples. He, he was looking at just the crowd that he was working with, and he said, the harvest is great and the laborers are few, therefore pray. He didn't say, yeah. therefore go and, you know, make this grand strategy. He didn't, you know, he didn't say any of those things that we might tend to jump to. His thought and his strategy for us was prayer. So I know there's a lot of people that will set their phone alarm for 10.02 a.m., p.m., both, um, and they'll pray at that time for unreached people groups and for God to raise up more laborers to go and serve among the nations. Um, so that's that's one thought. Another thought is kind of what we were just talking about as far as looking at where you're at, where you're located, and seeing are there international students here in my area that I could connect with? Are there immigrants that have come to do business and to do life here? Are, are there opportunities to serve refugees that have come to this country? And if so, how can I how can I serve them? How can I plug in to ministering to them, um, just getting to know them? And then on the educational side of things, I would highly recommend people looking into the perspectives class. Um, it's a 15 week course that runs all over the country um, and all over the world, actually. And it's yeah, 15 weeks. And it's it's a discipleship course, but it has a focus on the Great Commission and on what God is doing 
in this entire world, um, not just in our little bubbles. I think that's where I would encourage people to, to start. And then just to connect with someone else who's in missions, whether it's with a missions organization and someone like me who does missions advising or whether there's a missions pastor at, you know, your local church or just a pastor at your church. Um, but to bring other people into that journey who can speak into that experience um, and help guide and pray with yeah. you. So a lot of people, especially you know, in the secular world, say that being a missionary, taking the gospel to another country is essentially colonialism and that we're forcing our cultures on them and they see it almost as a sort of violence. What would be your response to that? Unfortunately, there is solid reasoning and historical backing for them to think that. There has been a lot of missions in the past that has had that kind of flavor of colonialism and of westernizing people and cultures. And that's on us. You know, that's that's horrible. And that's not, not how it should be. And that's not how it needs to be going forward. So, yes, that has happened in the past. Not all the time, but a lot of times. But that's not, in essence, what missions is. Just because that's how missions has been done, to some degree, does not make that the definition of what missions is. So I think that there's a lot of research that's been done. There's a lot of historical study that's been done. And and, and there's a lot of improvement on that to the point where there are people who say, like, it really is not about me bringing my culture and forcing it on you. You don't. You don't have to, in my context, you don't have to become Western before you become Christian because those two things are not synonymous. Yeah. Um, you know, following Jesus transcends culture and it transcends, you know, anything else like that. So it, it's not something that the West owns. It's not, if anything, the East owns it because it started in the East. So I think it's just a mindset shift and it's something that we need to be watchful of for sure. Um, just because yeah. we, as humans, tend to be so ethnocentric, you know, and my it's my way or the highway. Like the way I've always done it, the way my culture does it is correct. Well, maybe not. Maybe it's just different the way other people do it. So, yeah, yeah that's definitely something to be wary of, though. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of That Jesus Podcast. The music on this podcast was created by my friend Kyle Skriloff. You can find more of his beats by searching for captive music on SoundCloud. See you next time.